This is the Leading Second Podcast. We're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. Welcome back to season three of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart, and it is our honor to have you with us here today. If you lead from the middle in your church or in your organization, uh, if you serve on a church team in any capacity, Leading Second is for you. We are here because we want to be the kind of leader every pastor would kill to have on the team. So welcome to this space today. And I just got off a conversation that we're going to have in just a minute. Just recorded it with my good friend, Joshua Bingle. It was so good. I am so amped up. I am so excited. I am doing laps in my office right now. I can't wait for you to hear it. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun today. And honestly, I'm not sure a, you're going to hear me say this like six times this fall, but I am not sure a conversation that I've had to date has been more necessary or important for this hour. Today's episode is going to be all about biblical worldview and postmodernism and speaking to some of the tensions of that that we are experiencing right now. And we're going to talk about its importance for all of us in church leadership. You know, so many of the big conversations our culture is having this year is really uh, stemming from what ecosystem of worldview you are drawing from. And as young leaders, we can be so tempted to jump on every trendy and popular train that comes our way, every slideable graphic that comes our way on Instagram that looks good. But sometimes I wonder, are we stopping long enough to consider the gospel's place in our worldview conversations right now? What I love about this season is it's drawing us deeper. Young leaders are craving something deeper. But let me um, just expose for a brief minute today the ecosystems that we are drawing our worldview from. So we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, could ruffle some feathers today. I'm just okay with it. So here we go on that. Uh, my friend Joshua Bingle is the lead pastor of Genesis Church in Spokane, Washington. He has an amazing family. He has an amazing church. He is a student of God's word and uh, a student of worldview in this season. Uh, and I just think he's going to help so much today. So without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with my good friend, Joshua Bingle. Well, what's up, my friend? Good to have you back on the Leading Second podcast with us today. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm so glad to have you back. We value highly uh, your your voice on our podcast, and um, I am committed that Leading Second will never be a place of familiarity. So even though you're probably our most frequent guest, and I make you do this with me all the time, I want you to know that we love you and we value you, and you are what we're going to talk about today. You are an incredible student of right now, and um, our, our aim for this second half season of the podcast, of course, we had to totally reinvent because yeah, of all the things. Um, because. Because. So our goal was just to get in and have really necessary, crucial conversation. And you and I have talked about this a hundred times offline. I figure we would just talk a, a little bit about it online and see if we could help uh, some leaders today. So today um, we're going to be talking about worldview 
and a biblical worldview and some of the ecosystems we're, we're drawing from as leaders right now. Uh, but I think you would agree with this fact that the landscape of the local church has dramatically changed over the last six months. I mean, what, what would be your statement about that? I mean, th- things have shifted in a big way in a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in ways that are difficult, but I think are actually good and fruitful. Um, difficult in that um, there's been relational strain. There has been, um, you know, doctrinal strain. There's been the enemy trying to sow seeds of division. And in a lot of ways, this has been a refining fire for the church. And we, we, the funny thing is we prayed that early on in this season in March and, and we just felt like God laid that on our heart. Like we're, we're going to get better in this season. You know, everybody on the front end was like, we're going to get better and we're going to emerge stronger. And then we prayed like, God refine us. And we started singing that Mav song refiner and it's awesome. And I love it. And then God was like, cool, I got you. And it's just been refining and there's yep. been some pruning and yep. some separating. And so there's been some, some obviously difficult things about it. Um, but some very good things about it as well. But it has definitely changed. And that change is requiring a change in us as leaders. As seasons change, we have to change. We have to grow. We have to get better. We have to continue to pray um, what Jesus um, rebuked the Pharisees for is that they couldn't they couldn't discern the age. He says, you can discern the harvest and the moon, and but you can't discern the age. And that is such an important prayer for us as leaders. God, help me discern the age. Yeah. And obviously change in some ways is happening all the time, but then there are seasons where we go through major change. And then I would even say as a minor student of this with generations is that every 20, 25 years in a culture, certainly in America, we go through once in a generation changes and I think what I, the first issue I wanted to raise today is that we're actually in one of those, in my opinion, we're in one of those once in a generation changing moments. Um, I'm not so much on labels for generations because I think they, they, they bring up ideas that aren't always healthy, but we have to kind of see where we're at. And millennials are almost 40. Gen Z is almost 25. And that therefore means that this entire generation, if you put those two together is about to move into the most powerful years, the 40 to 60 years and are about to reshape every area of life life, culture, politics, everything in, in, in its image. And, and that could be for the good, that could be for the bad, but I I think it's just important for us to know the time, like things are changing and it's not just a few more people watching you online. We, you and I, I think have kind of come to believe it's far deeper, you know, than that. What, what is, what are some of the cries that you feel like you're seeing and hearing your student of of younger leaders on social media and younger thinking like I am, like what are some of the cries you're hearing out of this generation that could really metastasize, you know, in this next season into something bigger for the church? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Barna just released some, some research they've been doing and it's really good. And um, I'm, I'm just, you know, off the dome going to say something. So I might get a little bit wrong, but sure. Um, as I recall, 50% of practicing millennials, practicing millennials, 50% um, have, have left the church during COVID. 
like just no longer practicing. And, and that's on top, that's on top of, of generationally high numbers who already were, were, were documented to maybe be okay with what would be called spirituality or even loving Jesus, but not necessarily loving the church. Yes. Yep. It's packaging. So of, of those that we had, that was the qualifiers practicing millennials, um, are just no longer a part of the church in this, you know, through this season. And so that's an important distinction for me in this is because while we lament that and my heart is, yeah, is broken over it. Um, it is what it is. And, and I, I want to, in this season, speak to the people who are with us. Yes. And what I've found is, is the, the the ones that are still with us have a deep cry for depth from the word of God. They have, there is a deep sense of, yes. of hunger for the presence of God and to really be like Jesus. Like when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We, we love to quote that because we're tired, but, yeah. but he says, he says, take on my yoke and learn from me. Like he's saying, it's not just enough to come to me and sit and be like, Jesus is awesome. He goes, you have to be like me, which means you have to make some hard decisions and you have to learn about who I am and you have to do what I do. And what I'm finding is the people who are still here, like the cores of our churches very much are still intact. And, and those people, the, the, the biggest cry that I'm seeing is that we want depth yes. in the word of God and richness. Like we have been reading, I mean, in for weeks in most of our sermons, 40 to 50 verses, like, mm-hmm. and we're just in, and like the, the engagement and we feel even in a, in a room that is, you know, in our state, we can only have a 25% of our capacity. Um, but even in that room, just the hunger and the anticipation is off the chart. Yeah. Well, and I, that is making me very hopeful. And I believe, and I, I kind of sorry to cut you off. I, I wanted to insert this here really fast before we, because it's important that we have the honest conversation about what's going on. But yeah, I really believe, and I know you you share my belief in this. The best days for the local church are still ahead. Like like we we are not down on the church. Um, we are not down on the church people here today. Um, I, I believe may, possibly the church's greatest days of potency, of effectiveness. In fact, if millennials truly are disenfranchised from church in large numbers, walked away, I mean, what a more fertile ground for revival then then, then it, it's it's just the kindling for it. So to me, I just want to have give leaders some hope today as we're having the honest conversation that, I mean, I, I got on the road for about three weeks here this fall. I'm actually now back home for a few weeks, but I got on the road for about three weeks and was at five different churches. Um, I was in churches in very red states, a very blue state, and a very purple state. So I just kind of made my way around churches that would have political exposure to the right, churches that would have political exposure to the left. Every service I was in was packed. Mm. Packed. Come on. And no one sees it right now 
because and, and and maybe in one of one of them it was packed at the capacity they could have yeah that's you know? us. but 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 it was full and i just thought this is not just something happening in texas this is not just something happening in the bible belt that in in um even some of the most unchurched characteristically unchurched places you know where we're seeing this happen so man just like the remnant that returned to to Canaan and Jerusalem from exile to rebuild the temple it may have been a fraction of of um you know, who went into exile, but it says it was exactly whose hearts God had moved to return. And it was enough to rebuild the second temple. And, um, so I, I just, I just believe the landscape is changing, but great days ahead for the church. Yes. I was just, um, at an event at a church in the, the, uh, South and the pastor, he said, uh, the bold will win in 2021. Mm. And we were talking about just the, in the boldness and um, there, there is, there is a fervency and a, and I believe a prophetic edge. I know this is a leading second podcast. We're going to talk about teams, but we're talking about church teams. And so there's a prophetic edge that is being sharpened in the church. Yes. And I think so many leaders are finding their voices and they're finding solid ground in a lot of ways, kind of because of this, um, uh, not divide, but kind of a separation in the church where people who are kind of around, like you and I were talking, I think a lot of the people that are not really with us anymore, um, are, it was, it was like kind of what Paul experienced. He had to, he had to address it in Corinth and he had to address it in Athens where like Jesus was just kind of one of the idols, one of the gods on their mantle. And then as soon as that just wasn't popular, because following Jesus is hard right now. I'm going to preach about that this weekend. What do you do when following Jesus is hard? Like it's hard right now. And so it's, you just take that off the mantle and, and, and they're gone. But that's kind of, I think, given a lot of leaders clarity about who's with us and who's on missions. Yes. And I'm seeing people more confident than I've seen them in a very long time, which is great news because I do believe that the bold are going to win in 2021. Yeah, I, I think we are actually finding ourselves in landscape that looks uh, more like what the early church experienced. You know, we in America uh, are truly, I think for the first generation in, in at least a long time, um, in a true postmodern culture. Like you said, it would look very similar to the first, second, third century Roman empire. And, and, you know, before, before Christianity and, and Rome infused, you know, anyways, and, um, we are having to, in some ways, reach a, a culture that is just barreling toward God, godlessness and, and headed there quickly. And yet, um, it's, it's just such fertile ground for, for the gospel. One thing I wanted to talk to you about for a minute today is the wells that we're drawing out of. I've been doing this message anytime I get it, get a chance to on, on redigging the wells and deepening the wells in our own life. I'm doing that right now. Um, I'm, I am investing in my life. I'm, I'm taking some additional schooling right now. Like I'm, 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 
digging new wells in my life because I feel like it's not our job as the church to go more writer or more lefter or Republican or Democrat or this or that, uh, which, 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 which the world is trying to get us to do. It's our job to go deeper in the things of God and in the word of God and, and in worship in the presence of God. I mean, what, what better compass do we have than the word of God and the presence of God right now in, in a, a, a culture where the goalposts of morality and truth are constantly moving right now. We have to have some true North, some North star, which is truly Jesus. So, but here, here's what I want to talk about. I think what this season has exposed is that in the local church, we have been drawing from different ecosystems. We all thought we were drinking from the same well, and it turns out we weren't. And this season has exposed that. And and by ecosystem, I mean worldview. And what you're seeing right now, the clashes that we're experiencing can really all be traced back to worldview issues. And those who have a biblical worldview and those who would have a more secular worldview. And I just wanted to take a minute right now and just name some of this stuff because it could be so damaging for some leaders. We think we're on the same page, but we, our wells are coming from different ecosystems and we're actually not on the same page and not talking about the same things. And we just need to have, as you and I've been talking about just some Christ supremacy in, in our lives and in this season and informing our worldview, politics, voting, decision-making leadership, all of it. So I guess what, what are you seeing in terms of these, when I refer to these ecosystems that these wells are accessing, like what, what have you seen? What's become so apparent in this season? Yeah, I think what's been exposed and what's been uncovered is something that's been 60, 70 years in the making. It's been a slow, it's been a slow burn. And, um, you know, what you may have heard and it's kind of like, it's been tossed around in, in different ways, but you may have heard people talk about um, critical theory or critical theorists. And it's, 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 there's just so many different ways that people are defining this. I, I love, I prefer James Lindsay um, calling it applied postmodernism. And, um, and so if we're going to understand the landscape, like this is not going to turn into like a, a, you know, it's not a primer on, on critical theory, but this is helping us understand the landscape that we're in. And so, you know, in the enlightenment, you have the modern thought is that's where that comes. That's where that comes from. And some of the main ideals of modern thought was that you, things can be measured. There is absolute truth. We can find it. We can discover it. But all of it was, was for, for the aim of human flourishing. Like this is so key. And this is why when we talk about the supremacy of Christ, it's the supremacy of Christ, his rulership and its implications for human flourishing. Because the Enlightenment, modernist thought that, that you know, transformed into postmodernism, it's all trying to bring about human flourishing. And what Mark Sayers would say, it's trying to bring about the kingdom without the king. It wants the promises without the promise right, maker. Right, right. And, and, and so at, at a core level, Augustine argues that at a core level, at a primal level, we all remember the garden. Like it's just built into who we are. We remember the garden and the garden wasn't, the garden of Eden wasn't perfect. It was just optimal for human flourishing. Obviously it wasn't perfect because Adam and Eve chose sin. But Augustine argues that at a primal level, we all feel the garden. 
And so we're trying to recreate the conditions of the garden without the creator that made those conditions possible. And, and so we're trying to live in provision and peace and joy and flourish and, and multiply and take dominion with, without acknowledging the creator that made that possible. You're, you're hearing, you're hearing in politics right now, they say you're hearing a lot about kindness and empathy, of course, because of the current personality of certain politicians and such. And, and you see you're hearing about kindness, but kindness detached from the fruit of the Holy spirit. It's an empty version of that. I think that'd be an example of one thing that you're referring to here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, before we can talk about postmodernism, we have to talk about, you know, modern modernism. What was before it, which was that if now that we know that, you know, the universe or, or pardon me, that, that our solar system rotates around the sun and like we can measure things and we can find stuff. Now we can bring about human flourishing. We're fighting diseases. Um, you know, we're with the industrial revolution. Look at this where we are, we are creating more wealth than has ever been created. And more people are being lifted out of poverty than have ever been lifted out of poverty before. And look, and then around like after world war one, and then specifically in world war two, we realized, gosh, all of this stuff that modern thought brought us didn't bring about human flourishing. In fact, what it brought about was destruction and world wars in genocides and division. And so in these French postmodernists like Derrida and Foucault, they playfully are like, well, actually nothing is true. Like truth doesn't exist because look, none of this worked. It was a reaction to none of that modern thought brought about human flourishing. And so maybe what brings about human flourishing is nothing is true and everything is true. And it was kind of this playful type stuff. And then what we've seen this turn in the last you know, 20 years in academia that's now playing its way into our culture. And I promise this is not just like a boring history class. This matters for your leadership is that, is that James Lindsay argues that that postmodern thought where nothing is, you know, whatever. And it's hey, do, do you do whatever you want has become, he's calls it applied postmodernism. It's become militant. It's become uh, actionable. And so and so he he lays out, and we're going to give some resources later. This is from his book, Cynical Theories, which is brilliant. Um, but he, he gives two uh, knowledge principles and then four main themes from postmodernism. Whether objective knowledge or truth is obtainable and a commitment to cultural constructivism. The second is a, is a political principle, and that's a belief that society is formed of systems of power and hierarchies which decide what can be known and how. Um, so those are the two principles. And then there's themes. And the four themes are the blurring of boundaries, the power of language, cultural relativism, and the loss of the individual and the universal. So we're not going to look at all of those. But but the landscape is, is this is the question. What's the landscape? And you said it earlier. For, for probably maybe 10, 15 years especially, in our churches, we've been saying the same things, but we haven't been saying the same things. Because we have a very different worldview than this. This is a completely yes. different worldview. Yes. Whereas Christianity, we we see we we believe the best about each other. We we are patient. We're gracious. We're, and we're not always the best representatives of this. Let's just get that. You know. Yeah, totally. totally. But as far as a, a worldview goes, we've been saying the same things without really saying the same things. You're brilliant and s- said so well, and. All of that to say this, the well that you're drinking out of right now matters. 
it matters. In Genesis chapter 26, it says that Isaac's generation, when they returned to the land of the Philistines, they were there temporarily because of famine and Abraham's generation had also been there. It says that they dug again the wells of water, which had been dug in the days of their father, Abraham, because the Philistines had stopped them up while they were away. The Philistines had stopped up these wells with garbage and trash and earth and debris. And then it says this, it says they gave them the same names that their fathers had given them. In other words, they, they redug the wells, which of course access water. And Jesus of, of course himself is described as living water that would flow out of us. And, and, and I mean to re-preach my sermon here, but you know, that, that they, they redug the wells and then they gave them the same names. They didn't try to modernize or postmodernize the names of the wells. They gave them the same names. And I think I, 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 this is what I would want to say to every leader listening right now. You can't just jump in on every trendy thought or slideable Instagram post or something you see on the internet for the love of God, do your research right now for, for the love of Jesus. Like, like, look at things right now and compare them to scripture. I'm going to be honest this summer. I I wouldn't go so far as to say that I got confused, but I became a student. I, I stopped for a minute. I stopped posting, you know, I stopped talking long enough because I got disoriented. That'd be a good word. I got disoriented. Like what's happening right now? And I waited long enough to say what I, in other words, we hear silence is violence post say, you know, and, and and again, it has this humanist side to it. It kind of has an echo of feeling right to it. And I, I just stopped long enough and thank God I didn't like, like jump on some bandwagons, but I reoriented myself and I found the word of God again in this season. And, and I'm just, I'm thankful I did. I'm just challenging every leader listening to research, know the well that you're digging out of. So, so a thought on social media is one thing, but the well that it comes from matters as I think that the, what I really wanted to say on this episode today, the well that it comes from matter. It is, you could be putting something from a toxic humanist ecosystem and, and you don't even know it. You don't even know sometimes, and it sounds good and trendy. So I wanted to say that. And then Josh, tell me what you think about this. It's a lot of leaders that are experiencing heaviness right now in this season. It just feels heavier than it has. And I've been thinking about that. Why did it feel heavy when this summer the pace kind of got lighter for us, you know, for a little bit? Why Why the heaviness? Why was there heaviness um, I mean, it, it, at the beginning of COVID season, it was like, we're, we're all in, there was kind of this adrenaline rush. There was just kind of this, like, we're going to figure this out. But then to me, it got heavy this summer. And I've been asking myself why the heaven is even personally, we were actually, to be honest, walking through a blessed season, but I was still heavy. And I was asking myself, why are things heavy? And someone who I'm talking to right now, even as you're listening to this, as I'm saying that it's leaping up inside of you because you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. It's heavy. And I couldn't get away 
from the thought that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that right now we are in spiritual warfare. And I just, I want to call it out today because we're not just dealing with, with thoughts. We're not just dealing with words, both of which are very powerful. We're dealing with, with something that is very spiritual in nature right now. And if you're feeling heavy, um, I just, I can't take you to the feet of Jesus soon enough and quick enough in this season just to guard your heart because as the Bible says, out of it flows the issues of life out of it. You can stop up the well in your life, you know, if you don't. So I just love for you to maybe to talk about that for a minute, Josh, because I know some are experiencing heaviness right now, but I know in Jesus, there is freedom and there is life still in this season for us. Yes, yes, yes. Brandon, that word about, you know, which well are you drinking from is so, so, so good and necessary. And we're both, um, charismatic Pentecostals. So when you said this is heavy, <laughs> like my spirit left, like it's just, it, cause it's so true. And, and his, this has been a fatiguing season and it is a season. Like if you talk to people who have been in the game for 40 years, they've, they're like, we've never seen right. anything like right. this. And, and it's heavy. And if I could maybe speak, you know, at the, at the risk of overstepping, just maybe pastor some of the people here. <laughs> um, it's heavy because of exactly what Brandon said, that it's spiritual warfare, that this is a full on assault against the kingdom of God and God's church. Um, and I, and this is not just me saying this people that I love and respect who have been in the game for a long time are, are saying the same thing. And we tend to passionately defend what, what we love. And that, that passionate defense is emotionally fatiguing and it's spiritually fatiguing in, um, the supremacy of Christ. This is the well, this is the well Yes, is the, the, the supremacy of Christ. I cannot get away from this phrase, the supremacy of Christ, his rule and its implications for human flourishing. Every, all, all of the arguments and all of the conversations and the necessary ones, I don't want to take anything away from that, but what we are really talking about is human flourishing. And we are, there is a battle of worldviews about what really will bring about human flourishing. And as confessional Christians, what we know is true is that the supremacy of Christ and his rule is the only thing that can truly bring about human flourishing. Think about Psalm 23. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Like it's, it's him leading. It's him making me lie down. He says, your, think about this. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Think about that for a second. The implications of his rod and staff. Right. His authority and his direction are what brought mm. David comfort. It was a, mm. it, it was not God's presence. It wasn't what God thinks about me. It wasn't my identity. All that stuff is awesome. But David said it's, it's his rod and his staff. The fact that he is in authority and he is leading. That's how. And then the next thing he says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
That's human flourishing. I didn't need my enemies to go away. I can, I can sit here and eat a meal when everything is going crazy. Why? Because I'm submitted to the supremacy of Christ. I'm right. submitted to his rule. Right. I'm submitted to his authority. I'm submitted to his direction. And that was what gave the psalmist comfort. And that is the Christian worldview. And, and there's, there's a clash of worldviews that is saying your truth, living out your truth is what is going to is going to comfort you. And, and, and throwing off authority is what is going to comfort you. But what David said is that it was your, your rod and your staff. And so it's no wonder to me that there, there's an epidemic level of anxiety when we reject authority and we refuse to follow God's direction. Because those are the things that bring comfort. And, and, and we are seeing right now, again, the landscape, this, this, this separation. And so the heaviness that you're feeling um, is, is because this is war. And, and I am thankful for, and maybe just prophetically declare this, for the leaders that are going to be born in this season yes. of opposition. Yes. And you are cutting your teeth in, in warfare. This is not, you know, you, you join the military in peacetime. You were conscripted in a time of war. And it might feel heavy and it might feel hard, but you are getting a doctorate in leadership right now in six months. And God is faithful to sustain you. God is faithful to continue to propel you. And this is, this is, I think we'll look back at this as one of the best seasons that yes. shaped the leadership yes. of the church for generations to come. Totally. Couldn't agree with you more. And um, someone might say to this conversation today, you might say, well, what are we supposed to do? Just ignore racism and ignore injustice and ignore. And the answer is absolutely not. But what we have to realize is Jesus has these conversations differently. We're not ignoring the very real needs that have been necessarily exposed in our culture in this hour. We're just rejecting the prescription for how to, you know, the solutions that are being offered. And like, I think of Jesus and when I, everyone loves to, obviously point to him. Some just want to make him a social justice icon or something like that. Well, let's talk about it for a minute because Jesus equally interacted with oppressors and the oppressed. And, and it's just, he lived, he lived in the tension of both and carved a different way through. And I think that's just where, what we're, and we're, that'd be too deep to get into today, but no, we don't reach, we don't ignore the real problems of our world and our landscape today. We just, we just believe that in Christ there are, there's another route, which leads me, Josh, to my final um, question for you, because I want to talk about this and then we're going to talk about a couple books for a second, um, for the student on the podcast today. Um, I think the greatest, um, risk of having this conversation for me anyways, is I know that our audience is primarily those who serve and lead in the proverbial second chair. You lead in the middle. In other words, you have a pastor and you have a church and you are under authority but here's the risk. The risk is that you could agree with this and agree with some of the way the landscape of the church is changing and see it and potentially even have different thoughts on this than your pastor. 
And I, I just want to go there for a second. Um, can I just first of all say that it's incredibly normal to be in that position, especially if you're younger and of a different generation, it's fine. It's normal. Who said to be in alignment? We had to agree on every little tiny thing. And, and, but it's a tension. It's a very real tension that we experience. But what I wanted to say to this point is as you're on your journey of understanding the landscape, realize your pastor is as well. And I'm not worried about the future of the church. I think the church is going to move into its next season in strength and under the direction of God. And we're going to get there. Um, but here, here's what I want to say. The number one thing we have to guard against is division in the church right now. Your pastor that isn't as woke as you is not your enemy right now in this season or, or your church culture that you would like to change things about. Like it is not the problem. In fact, our unity is paramount right now in this season. I don't know. And, and speak to this for a minute, Josh. I don't know. There's anything more important worldview. Any of it. There's nothing more important than the unity of the body of Christ in this hour and in this day. Yes. 100% agree. And Paul, Paul had lots of uh, disagreements. Paul had things that bothered him about the world. He had things that bothered him about church. He had things that bothered him about particular leaders. Um, we see that he and Barnabas and John Mark have such a division that they can't continue working together. Um, yet at, you know, at the end he tells Timothy, go find John Mark cause he's useful to us. And so this yes. is not like in, you know, even in, in the early church in, in the apostolic age, like the first generation of the church, there was disagreement and, and, but what Paul, when we see when Paul, when there was disagreements with believers, he, he did it differently with non-believers and believers, and, but we're talking about teams. And, and so disagreeing with believers, what we see was, was primary for Paul in these disagreements was unity. Exactly what you yes. just said. Yes. He was always fighting for unity. There was a major disagreement in the Roman church, um, between the Jews and the Gentiles about yes. kosher laws. And, and Gordon Fee argues that that Romans was written to get to Romans chapter 14 to address this division. Like that's his argument that Paul's magnum opus, like his, his brilliant, like all of his theology is dialed and all of that was to get to a pastoral issue in Romans chapter 14. Wow. And, and they can't, they literally can't have communion together. They won't sit at the same tables, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers because they have disagreements. And, you know, the, the Jews were kicked out of Rome by Claudius in 49 AD and they're, they're invited back in in 54 AD. And so the church is different because five years it was led by Gentiles. That's where the disagreement comes from. And they literally cannot be in fellowship with one another. And this is, and you're like, well, they're just talking about what they're eating. To the Jews, it was a salvation issue. To us, it's like, you know, Chick-fil-A or Popeye's, which sandwich is better? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. It was, it was a salvation issue for the Jews. And and it was a big time disagreement. And then Paul in, in Romans 14, 20, he says, do not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. So good. So good. Like in these disagreements, there, there were Paul, there's an, a list of 11 things that God hates. Seven of them have to do with division and lack of unity and divisiveness. Seven of the 11. 
that he says are an abomination to God have to do with pride and arrogance and strife and sowing discord. And Paul was so about this. So are you going to have disagreements? Yes. Are you going to think certain, oh, if I was in the first chair, I would do it this way, or I would go about it that way. But I promise you, if the apostle Paul wrote you a letter, he would say, hey, I know that you have these disagreements, but the unity of God's church is yes. of primary yes. importance. So and important. I do not suffer anyone who sows disunity, division, and discord. And so be encouraged that I love how you said it, Brandon, and you have said this to our team so many times over the years, that it's not alignment. And if I'm saying this wrong, check me, but it's not alignment if you always agree. That's just agreement. Yes. yes. It becomes alignment when you have an opportunity to disagree and you do disagree, but you align and you fight for unity. And yep. the leaders that will be promoted, the leaders that I think will, you're, you're storing up treasures in heaven are those who are fighting for unity and not splitting the baby. They're not cutting the baby in half. They're yes. willing to give up the baby and let it live rather yep. than cut it in half. Yep. Beautiful, my friend. Um, we hit the points I wanted to hit today. Like this, I... It's so funny. I, I, this is why I love doing podcasts with you is you're okay with like my post-it note notes. Like I actually had a script written for this and then we got on the phone a few minutes before and I kind of in the moment rewrote it and this was way better. I just hope today that we exposed some wells, some ecosystems of thought. Um, I pray that you will do your research and your homework. I pray that you'll realize that we battle not against flesh and blood and um, that we're in spiritual warfare right now. I think I'd also like to say, too, that not every season of the church is a growth season. I, I know we're adding to our numbers daily, those who are being saved right now. But if it's not showing up in butts and seats in your 25% capacity room on a Sunday, like let's just not make that the target right now. Like, like that, that day will return. That day will come again. Don't worry about it. Like, like make disciples the great commission was never to go into all the world and fill rooms. You know, it was to go into all the world and make disciples. And maybe, maybe we're just going to return to a purity of that really quickly uh, offer to everybody, maybe a couple books that have helped you in this season. You've, you've mentioned one already with cynical theories. Yeah. And I, I I'll, I'll give a little note on that, that if I've sent that to so many pastor friends um, to me, it's the Rosetta stone. Um, it's, it helps you discern culture. And one of the things I loved about it is, you know, James Lindsay is an atheist. He has books about how to talk to Christians about God and like, uh, but he's brilliant. And he's in Helen Pluckrose who co-wrote it is like a very like leftist progressive professor. And so this is not just like pastors who are afraid that people aren't coming back to their churches. Like we're finding ourselves strange bedfellows with, right. I mean, it's just kind of, it's just been weird, but if you want to understand, um, cause there's a lot of leaders playing whack-a-mole right now and like, Oh, well we addressed this in our church and Oh, it wasn't enough for you. Well, we addressed this, we addressed this and people are still leaving. What do we do? It's because you're just hitting the surface. You're playing whack-a-mole. Like we need discernment for the age. And so I think cynical theories is really important. Um, I think all of uh, Neil Shenvey's work, um, his apologetics work, he comes at it from a Christian worldview is great. He helps you understand um, the difference between the worldviews. He argues that it's a counter-religion. 
Um, and so if you're, if you're looking for those, I would go to those resources before you started reading primary sources. Um, because reading primary sources without the proper lens can be dangerous. And then digging the, digging the wells, I think Brandon is you just, you need to keep banging that drum and let this be a season where you are in your word more often. Maybe you would read why revival Terry's by Leonard Ravenhill. Maybe you would read born after midnight. Um, I believe it was either Ian Bounds or Tozer who wrote born after midnight. But that, that book starts saying, um, there's a line among the old revivalists that revival is born after midnight. Um, and where are the people who are willing to pray long into the night for revival? And so maybe, maybe you, would, you would touch the old bones and you would redig some of those old wells in this season um, and just watch what God does through yeah. you and in you. Also maybe mention um, resilient faith. Oh yes. How do I forget resilient faith? Um, resilient faith is trying is by, um, Jerry or Dr. Gerald Sitzer. And, um, he's brilliant, wonderful man, but it's looking at the early church in his, the premise is what can we, in a post-Christian world, what can we learn from a pre-Christian world? You know, how did they go about, how did they move it? He talks a lot about how Jesus was the third way um, he wasn't in the middle of Rome and Judaism. He was above and he kept calling them higher. And um, it's, it is brilliant, fantastic framework um, yep. for how we move about in a post-Christian world. Well, hey, my friend, I love you. I'm not going to keep you all day, but thank you for a few minutes uh, with us today. And I pray that this has just helped. I think we even went a little long, sorry, but I think this has just helped uh, some some leaders today to... Um, I think know the times and understand where we're at. So thank you. We love you. Keep studying. Keep bringing it to us. Um, we appreciate you very much. We're leading second. We love you, man. I know we're leading in, in very interesting times right now, but I pray that in this, you are truly finding Christ. And I pray that he is coming alive in you and that rivers of living water are flowing from the inside of you in this season. I believe it's possible. And I pray that uh, today's conversation just helped you deepen the wells in your own life. Uh, hey, if this podcast is resonating with you and you're new, why don't you hit the subscribe button? Plan to join us all fall for conversations just like this as we redig some wells in our lives as leaders. Uh, also, uh, share this with someone in your world, with your team, if this resonated with you. Uh, help us out by becoming a podcast ambassador. Uh, we just want to get the word out and help as many leaders as we can in this season. Also consider joining us on our Facebook group, the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. That's where we do life and we would love to have you. So Leading Second, we love you. We're praying for you. We're walking with you, standing with you in this season. Until next time, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. For more information, you can go to leadingsecond.com and find our digital magazine. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leading Second to keep up with our community of uncommon church builders.